All right, welcome to the podcast. How are you going, boys? Good, man. Awesome. Man, I can't complain. Can I really? On holidays? Yeah, tell us, what, where are you? What are you doing? How long have you been there? What's been going on? Well, uh, Meev and I are in Bali, Indonesia. Beautiful. Awesome, man. Um, weather's perfect. Um, the only issue I've had is we did an amazing 12-hour tour yesterday, and if anyone who knows me personally knows, I am so bad in cars. If I'm not driving and boats, right, I get so, so sick from motion sickness. It's been my whole life. So other than that, everything else has been incredible. I've only made one purchase so far. I'm going to show you because I reckon it's freaking sick. It's my one purchase. That's oh, awesome. Mint. So uh, Michael Jordan yeah. hat for people that are on Spotify. So yes, Michael Jordan hat. Uh, and this one, last one. I had to get the Chicago Bulls. Bulls. Oh, that's Chicago awesome, that one. Yeah, that's dope. So, uh, so yeah, no, very happy man, loving life at the moment. Back in, back on Tuesday. Oh, awesome. What's been the um the go to? Is it just Nazi Gorang flat stick? No, man. You know what we've been having? We've been having this just because it's been hard to get protein up, like without wanting to have protein shakes all day. Yeah. So we found this grilled mahi mahi fish. Ma- right, mahi. That comes, yeah, man, which is Google awesome. Yeah, man, comes with a side of um, just like salad, and then I just add a steamed rice to it, man. So it's like my four time a day go to. Like, that's mad, awesome. Well, nice. boys, we have a lot of questions to get through, right? So, which is awesome, and we really appreciate all, everyone's questions and uh, sending them through. So, in no particular order, I'm just going to start and just start rattling them off, and then we'll just get through as many as we possibly can. These Sound are the good? fun. These are the fun podcasts. <laughs> All right. So, uh, do you only coach competition clients? No. No. No, <laughs> but ninety percent yes. <laughs> yeah. oh, to, to give you a percentage, I'm probably more like a fifty-fifty. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just to put into context, like the process doesn't really change a lot, other than the end goal being different, but. You know, the tracking and measuring of data is pretty much an expectation I put on 90% of my clients, whether you're comp prepping or not. Um, I think as coaches, like for us to be able to guarantee, you know, a certain level of success, there's a certain amount of control that we need to have over, you know, all the variables. So why wouldn't you employ the same strategy with, with everyone? 100%. Like if someone's going to take it as serious as a competitor is, then yeah, I take them on board. No, no dramas. And I'm sure mm-hmm. three boys are exactly the two boys are exactly the same. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the difference between A and B and ICN? Now we have the A and B Vic promoter on, uh, and you've obviously uh, competed in ICN and put your clients in ICN. So maybe we'll start with you, MG. Yeah. So, like for anyone who is unfamiliar with the two federations, obviously both are natural bodybuilding federations within Australia. So in that sense, that they're very similar in terms of differences. You know, the, uh, the categories are different in both. So like for A and B, for female, we don't have a sports model. And like our, our reasoning behind that is because if you've ever been to some of the other Federation shows, um, it can feel like sometimes you're just seeing the same competitors over and over again because there's crossover between the two divisions. And, and for some people, that's a good thing. And, and others, you know, it can seem like a little bit much. So that's just where we're at with that at the moment. We also limit the amount of categories in A and B that you're able to do as a competitor. So we put a three category or three division cap on you um so it's really up to yourself and your coach to pick the three that are going to be most optimal for you and uh and your look uh, and the, the the other thing for the male side is we we also don't have a fitness and physique division so we just call it fitness 
but we do wear board shorts in it. So it's kind of somewhere in between a fitness and physique um, yeah. for, for the male side. So, you know, on, on the day, we, we, we are a little bit more uniform in the way we do things at A and B in terms of everything being the same at every single show. Um, we, we try and have like a, a, a streamlined process. We fly judges in that judge all shows across the country. We have the exact same backdrops, the exact same backstage help, the exact same lighting. We, uh, we pretty much do everything the same. So that's the, only, that's the main differences. Yeah, I don't think, want to get into any others. Yeah, no, because, I, think uh, I don't want to upset too many people out there. <laughs> yeah, I think mentioning the categories, the fact that you can't cross-compete. So, for instance, I'm doing classic physique. I can't go into bodybuilding also. Um, but, and I'm limited to only three classic physique uh, subcategories, right? Um, and also, too, I think, and this is just difference. There's a difference of experience at those uh, two shows. So one is um, an individual walk at A and B and you come out individually and ICN, it's, uh, you come out together and then you get compared. So a little bit of a different experience um, and it just really depends what, what you enjoy and what you, get, you, what you want to get out of it. Also, you know, if we talk about ICN, some people like the ability to cross-compete and to have multiple categories. If you're a mum... There's a mum category. Maybe you're comfortable just staying in that category. If you're, um, if you're someone that's 40, 50 plus or more, maybe like that. And also you have different age caps too, right? So like... Yeah, yeah. So um, 25 and 35. Yeah, yours is 25, 35, right? Where there's yeah, and then, 23, and, and then 40s, 30, yeah. 40, 50, yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. a couple of differences there. And it, again, up to whatever suits that person the best. And then you know, we always say, try, different, try, all the, try all the feds and see what you like. Yeah. And guys, I'll also go, go and say like, this is not me saying that I'll, I like all of my team will continue to compete with ICN. I have a lot of friends that work within ICN. I have a lot of respect for ICN as well. So um, that will never change. The fact that I'm now promoting and organizing the Victorian shows uh, doesn't change my opinion of, you know, of the, the history that I have with ICN. I just uh, think that I'm going to run a very, very exciting show that would be worthwhile coming to watch. Yeah. I think that's what's good about you, Michael. Like you're very neutral in that sense and it's more up to the competitor and what they want to experience. Definitely. And I think all, all of us are the same. Like we never want to push competitors into a, into a certain direction, into a certain show because we want, them, we want to give them the information and get them to decide so then they're happy with their decision and they don't feel like, oh, you pushed me into doing this federation or what that may be. So I always ask, have you been to a show? Yes, no. Which ones have you been to? Which ones haven't you been to? What, what do you know about them? Okay, what do you want to do? Which ones do you want to? Which, what do you want to choose? Do you want to do multiple? Yeah. Do you want to stick to one? What's your pro? Like you know, it depends on your, you know, when it is in the year and how much money you can spend. It it, it all changes. So yeah. I think we're all pretty neutral for sure. Uh, and and like even for me, like as a, as a coach, I think all of us are pretty um, comfortable promoting cross competition because we prep athletes sometimes for up to you know twenty something thirty weeks, and we want. Them to have the opportunity to present that package as many times as possible so i just think that you know the cross competition should be um should be more welcomed by the federations and and coaches yeah uh on that there was a question about can natty athletes compete against enhanced guys and do they stand a chance maybe maybe scotty do you want to talk about it yeah sure um guys too so we can talk about guys and girls I think it's probably more popular with girls being that there's quite a lot of, and again, talking in terms of federations, there's quite a lot where I've seen of ICN sort of fitness and pro fitness girls that 
kind of tend to compete in IFBB bikini as well because it probably is a little bit more of a harder look um, and they can probably stand up against those girls um, potentially a little bit better. And I think it is getting a little bit more um, more popular probably for girls to maybe jump in IFBB. Uh, and absolutely, I think I've seen some phenomenal girls like um, Gabrielle Allegra, who is an ICN pro. I've seen her um, compete in IFBB shows and she more than holds her own. And, um, and I know that she's a natural athlete. Uh, and I think there's probably... There's probably more than a handful. I reckon someone like Bridge would be able to, to jump into those categories in IFBB and she'd be able to hold her own because, you know, she's been competing for a while. She's got the size to be able to do that. Um, in terms of the guys, I think it can be a little bit more difficult. Granted, it depends on the, the division. I think some of our ICM pro bodybuilders would be able to jump across into, say, Classic in IFBB because they've probably got the size to be able to stand up and hold that. But bearing in mind that classic is a very unique look and, and the posing is, uh, is, is different. But I think some of those guys um, probably could. I have seen Liam Cherry, uh, who's a, an ICN pro bodybuilder. I think he placed third at the Vic CNI FBB in open bodybuilding. And he is natural, like crazy physique. Um, but again, stood up against you know some, some big guys in his class and, and more than held his own. Um, in men's physique... I think it's starting to be a little bit more, uh, more popular. I know for me personally, I'm, I'm actually thinking of, um, of jumping in an IFBB show next year. And obviously, I'm a national athlete. I'm not enhanced. So I'd be obviously you know, going in against people that are, you know, are um, using pharmacal aid. But um, I think it just depends on the person. I think you also have to have realistic expectations. Like if you were to, to try and go into an open lineup and you're a natural athlete, the likelihood is that those guys are running a cycle that gives them an advantage to be able to, to be bigger. But I also think that as naturals, if and if you know how to get super lean, we have the advantage to be able to truly come in with elite conditioning, whereas, not to generalise, I think quite a lot of IFBB competitors rely on pharmacology to be able to, to really dial in. You know, they'll do a 10 or a 12-week prep, um, and they rely on, on pharmacy to be able to, to really be shredded versus as naturals, you know, we know we only have certain tools in our toolbox. And one of them is obviously we know how to work hard. Not that IFBB um, um, non-natural athletes don't, but we obviously have to work a lot harder to get leaner because we don't have access to, to pharmacal aid. So. Yeah, and it's also the reason why we're doing 28-week preps and not 12-week preps, right? We just couldn't do it. Yeah, sure. well, we couldn't. We certainly couldn't do it and, and, and hold, you know, a reasonable amount of tissue. Um, but just the ability to get that lean in that amount of time, unless you're, you know, one of the genetic freaks, which most of us aren't, um, it's, just not, it's just not possible. And like, you know, having put someone who's, you know, a previous natty, not natty anymore, you know, in an IFBB men's physique lineup and just seeing what else was there... Um, you know, it definitely is a different look. The muscle looks different. Um, the ability to, to put tissue on at a fast rate is, um, is completely different. Like just to put into context like our off-season, right? So pretty much after shows reversal and rebound, you know, we were able to put something like 12 or 13 kilos on um, without blowing out at all, you know, in, in 10 weeks. So this is, this is obviously a client. So like it is a different world. Um, but I think there is a place for, for a very small percentage of genetically um, freaky athletes that can stand up and hold their own. Yeah, I think too is there's already a lot of existing IFBB bikini girls that have always been natural and only ever done IFBB and done really, really well. So 
it's not only like um, you know ICN competitors going across or wherever that may be. It's some people have only ever dedicated themselves to IFBB naturally uh, as a female and, and done really, really well. Actually, um, Pete Hardwick, the classic classic IFB pro, he's natural too, lifetime natural. So um, there's a couple of um, really yeah. good uh, IFB competitors that are natural and, and uh, they do really well. Like we're talking about that show that, that your client was in, Michael. Um, the person that won his lineups was a natty guy. It was an ICM pro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice so, pro. So, so it's uh, it, it can definitely be done, but you know, be realistic. Have a look at your physique. Have a look at your shape, your genetics, your muscle mass, your level of condition you can get into. Chat to your coach, see what you think, and um, and and make the decision about you know what what show best suits you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite bodybuilders. Yeah, my um, mine is definitely Ian Valier, which I think most people know. He's been all over my story. I do love the giant. Obviously, we've had him on the podcast. Being yeah. a, being a, well, we're all pretty much taller guys, right? But like seeing someone put that amount of mass, and obviously we know he's super enhanced, which he which he spoke about on the podcast. But like to to put that sort of mass on a six five frame, you know, when you're a tall guy, you, it's it's super impressive. So they they would be my top two as current bodybuilders: Ian Valier and um, Jamie. Yeah, Ian is definitely one of mine as well. I'm a big fan of uh, of him. Also, just because of just how crazy strong he is, most people don't realise like how much like weight this dude can can lift. And then, obviously, old school people like Jay Cutler. I watched a lot of him growing up. And um, another one that a lot of people might not know, but the Shadow Dorian Yates. So this is like early times. This is a guy that used to just work out in like the crummiest of gyms, you know, in London, and was just like a nosebleed every single day trained to, to the edge kind of guy. But yeah, probably Ian uh, in today's, today's lineups. Yeah. I, like for old school, for me, it's Ronnie Coleman and, um, and Flex Wheeler. Uh, but in current days, obviously it's classic physique. I'm going to go see bum, right? Of yeah. course. Um, but I really like, um, I really like Bonac. William Bonac. Yeah. Yeah. I really like his, I guess because Kai Green's not in it, he's like a mini Kai Green. So, yeah, uh, Kai was obviously in terms of posing for me, he's one of the best ever. Yeah. The way that he would pose, I think people could take for granted. Everyone who poses know how hard it is to be able to like maintain composure, breathe, keep everything tight. And you watch that guy on stage, he's like freaking dancing, and he's just so composed. Everything's always on. It's like watching art. It's just yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's incredible. You know, like speaking of posing, I'm sure you guys are, are a fan as well. But Terence Ruffin. Oh yeah, right, freak, right? Like, not not a super tall dude, but like in terms of modern day posing, I think he's what one best posing in classic, and obviously comes second now twice. But yeah, he's he's incredible, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, what are your ages, and where do you live? I'll go. For, I'm yeah, I'm 35. I'll be 36 in April, and. Me and I live in Rosanna at the moment, but we are currently building a house in Greensboro, which is about one year behind where it's supposed to be, thanks to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 34 and I live in Montmorency. I think I'm the oldest. I'm 36 and uh, I live in Essendon. So that's in Melbourne, Australia, guys, if uh, anyone's wondering. <laughs> yeah. Well, if any, if it, it'll be a few maybe interstaters, yeah. Yeah. Um, any plans to start a YouTube training channel? Mm. No, not at the moment. Not really. And the reason why is like just with the schedules at the moment to like fit in, 
it's just yeah, it's just a time thing. I think like I know we're all reasonably close, and we do we do catch up, you know, at certain intervals. But just to find another hour on top of a podcast, or potentially more, to train, film, um, yeah, I, yeah, I just don't think it's feasible for any three of us at the moment. <laughs> I don't think we'd ever do a YouTube channel dedicated to it. We'd pop things on our social media, on Instagram, and things like that of us, you know, stories or videos and things like that. But never like this. This podcast is dedicated to to knowledge and information and interviews. Hey, so. unless there was a sponsor who wanted to monetize it, <laughs> then, <laughs> then we could potentially find yeah, potentially. <laughs> um, do you coach at enhanced athletes? So me, oh. I don't. Yeah, I do. You do? I do, yep. Uh, best natty supplements? Oh, this could go on. This one could go on forever. Go, Scotty. Uh, probably just say the main ones. So obviously, the first one is firstly just to clarify supplements. If you're unsure in terms of where they fit in, like the hierarchy, they're at the very, very back end. They're not in terms of importance. They're not going to be the be all and end all. So if you're someone that's like a little bit strapped for money, you're just starting out. Are supplements important? Not really. Um, I think if if you have the ability to liberate some funds to water, for sure. Main ones obviously being quality whey isolate. Obviously, a whey isolate is going to be the fastest absorbing protein. Um, and value for money, it's probably going to be close to the best as well. Maybe, obviously, chicken breast is probably a little bit cheaper. But a whey isolate, uh, creatine, because obviously there's a ton of research around it. And we know um, that as far as ergogenic aid goes, it is probably um, the goat of all supplements in terms of something that you want to be supplementing. And then otherwise, other than that, I mean... If you're talking pre-workouts, things like beta-alanine, citrulline malate. So beta-alanine is good for buffering capacity of metabolic waste. So basically allows us to train a bit harder for longer. Um, citrulline, mass, uh, citrulline malate is good for vasodilation. So it helps to obviously um, get lots of blood into the muscle, get a really good pump. Um, but again, you know, they're not really essential. They're just things. If you're looking for a pre-workout, like most people don't even realize or know what they're looking for in a pre-workout. They just get sold what the Jack guy at the supplement store tells them to buy. But I mean, most of my guys, myself included, um, I've literally got them in front of me here now, like citrulline malate, beta alanine, and then I'll normally supplement like some EAAs or a non-stim pre-workout on top of that purely just for, for caffeine. Caffeine's obviously the other one, roughly maybe three to five milligrams. Um, Per kilo, uh, per kilo body weight within like maybe 30 minutes of training. Um, we know that that's obviously going to give us um, some some better training quality. But other than them, they're probably the main ones for me, man. Yeah, so I'm, my, I'm similar. Just like obviously I agree with everything you said, but I want to touch specifically on the, the better outlet and the situation. I pretty much since working with you, Scotty, I'm, I've just now, I take those on their own. Um, yep. And just have my and have my caffeine just through coffee, like oh, okay, um, pure, purely because the dosage is is easier. And like for me, like MT knows, I'm pretty caffeine sensitive, so um, I can't like five five grams per kilo body, body weight for me. Five, five milligrams would have me like yeah. wired up and not sleeping for days. So like for me, a double shot and then just doing my bed and then citrulline on their own um, is is the and, like, and just to relay that that is case dependent. So when I say three to five milligrams, you know the that's where all of the research that they've done sure. is that, yeah. like the sweet spot. But having said that, it's so individualized. So for someone like yourself, if you can, and I'm the same, I can take 
um, 200 milligrams of caffeine and I feel like I'm bouncing off the walls and I'm 100 kilos. So it's like that's only, you know, two grams. It's on the way, way lower. But then some people rely on it, but it's like anything, the more of something that you have, the more of a tolerance you, you know, you adopt. Sure. Or, so then yeah. you've got to start taking more of it. But yeah. something like that, coffee, um, if that doesn't like give you any GI stress in the middle of your workout, it's not going to make you go to the bathroom, then by all means, coffee. Then mix those two with a little bit of water and maybe some, some cordial so that it doesn't taste like vinegar and you laugh at it. Yeah, my sweet spot's about 160. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously that's something that I've worked out over time and I've gone into the three, four hundreds and it just hasn't, hasn't given me a good workout. It's just caused me to be more anxious than anything. So, I yep. find, find your sweet spot. And what do you guys think about um, caffeine breaks in terms of, you know, you just spoke about tolerance levels. Do you... Uh, so, so what I do now is, I, let's say I'm training five days a week. I pretty much try and caffeinate three out of five and try and leave two uh, just, to, just to keep that little bit of, of sensitivity there for when I want a really big session. What do you boys do? I, I don't actually use it, man. I, I don't feel like I need any kind of pre-workout at all. I, I've tried pre-workout a long time ago and it's never done anything for me, so I've just never gone back to it. Yep. Um, I find have that... You, have you tried using citrulline before you train? Uh, it probably would have been in the pre-workout to be honest, but never by itself. Um, Cause that's obviously something I know you're working with, um, with B and that's something that he'll obviously, I assume he would advise that for you on, on, um, on comp day. But in terms yeah. of, that can make a, a pretty big fucking difference, man, in terms of how crazy you look like you think about how, how vascular you get with the occlusion training. Mm. You should just, um, the next time we meet up and train, I'll bring you a little pouch of, won't worry about beta alanine because that has a bit of a paresthesia effect. It can give you yeah. a tingle. But the citrulline, it doesn't have, you wouldn't even notice it. It just tastes sour. But in terms of being able to get, especially when you shred it, a crazy pump, it goes from like zero to 100 real quick. Yeah, I could imagine. I could, like, so yeah, beta alanine, I don't like the feel of it. It doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's like, honestly, my pre-workout or during workout is my, my little coffee thing that you might have seen on my Instagram, which is, coffee with vanilla protein powder and uh, some oat milk. And I just sip that during my workout. And I'm talking like, it's not a strong coffee, man. It's like maybe got like 50 to 80 milligrams of caffeine in it. Mm -hmm. I just don't, I just don't use that stuff. But um, I agree with you guys about all the supplements that you recommended. Um, You know, there's a lot of vitamins and minerals that I use for clients that are for metabolism for hormones. Um, Let's not put them under the supplement category at the moment. But, um, you know, they're things that you probably buy at Chemist Warehouse or I heard. But uh, maybe that's another question for another time. But um, <laughs> in, in terms of an education piece, I think like all of us would agree with that like if you're if you've got a serious goal or you're new to like weight training and you want to achieve something, you're way better investing your money in a coach than you are in supplements. 100%. Yeah. People spend a lot of money per week, per month, where it's nearly the same as much how much a coach is. For sure, man. 100%. Um, who trains the hardest out of you three out of us I've got an answer for it yeah yeah I've got an answer yeah we would never know who actually literally trains the hardest because you know only you know how hard you push right and I can't really know how hard you push Scotty or, or Michael but I think from an external perspective watching you train I think Michael's probably the most expressive in how hard he trains, 
then Scott, and then me last. Because I'm like not expressive. Like Michael, you know, you see me train. Man, I see you push hard. I don't even, I don't even I, bruise. I, I remember when you did that. We, were, we went to Doherty's, man, and you did that 80 total rep set on the hack squats with 10-second break in between every effort. And, man, I was, like, vomiting watching you, and you were just, like, fucking chill as man. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, you were gas, You were tanked. Like, you had to sit yeah, down for, like, yeah, three yeah. minutes. But your face and what you came out of your mouth was zero. Yeah. You just internalize it. Yeah, whereas whereas really I would have been, like, like ugh. <laughs> like, I love training with, with other people, but I, I thrive the most when I train by myself. Yeah, but I'm super internal, and you won't even look like I'm struggling. Like I'm struggling, like you know the veins are popping out of my head, and I'm you know <laughs> I'm grinding my teeth and stuff. But visually, you won't even think I'm training hard, to be honest. But so again, that's my answer. Like I think Michael probably expresses the most, and then I've only ever seen you a couple, couple of times training, Scotty. So that's only shit from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to answer. I think I. If someone said to me, do you train hard? My answer would be, yeah, I do. And similar to you, I don't typically like training with many people. And that's mainly not because of ego, but I feel like I'm not someone when I train who likes to have their phone out and scroll through Instagram. Like for me, training is that window of time where it's my time, it's no one else's. And so I want to take care of business, get in and get out. So in all honesty, the only person I would probably, or that I do train with is once a week on a Saturday is when I train with Zach and there's not a whole lot of talking. It's just like getting it, getting it done. So, so it's, like, it's like two gorillas in the jungle, man. Just fucking <laughs> lifting it. <laughs> yeah. But again, there's an element there's of an animal. pushing. Like I, I think if someone says to me, or oh, do you think I train hard? Like, I think if you're asking that question, then perhaps you maybe don't. I think when you train with people who could put their hand up and you know, that train hard, it can kind of maybe give you an idea of, whether you actually do or not like say say we were gonna we were gonna run a training session and it was like deep deep in prep and there's you know there's not a lot of talking on it's literally like balls to the wall and then you've got a client who maybe is just starting out it's fair to say that they're probably gonna feel a little bit like wow i thought i was pushing hard and then you're training with someone it's like now i have a new understanding and appreciation of what you know pushing hard is like you know, if you've had a nosebleed on a leg press or on a deadlift, not that I'm saying that's that should be the goal, but as in willing to be able to go to the places where you're like, you know, I can put my head up and say I've blacked out on a deadlift um, because I went for a rep there that it probably wasn't quite there. But I think sometimes you've got to be willing to maybe cross over to to the point of, you know, of maybe, you know, of failure, of true, true failure. And I think most people probably don't explore just just how far down, you know, the rabbit hole you, you can go. Yeah. yeah. Good answer, man. Yeah, that was going to be my next thing. I was going to say, like, do you think most people push that hard, but you just, you just took it out of I don't, I don't think people do. And I think that's the thing. I think people look at some of the most craziest physiques, especially natty physiques, and they're like, oh, it's just genetics. Well, not in some cases, yeah, but it's also they know how to train hard yeah. versus people who, you know, I'll, I'll have clients and that I work with online. I might have a one-on-one session with them once in a blue moon. And then I'll put the weight that they've been working off. And it's, it's like an RPE eight. It's like, that was a fucking four. Like you, yeah. you've got 15 reps. If you really need to, the way I think of it, if someone put a gun to your head and said, or someone offers you a million dollars to get an extra 10 reps, would you find those 10? And if the answer is yes, then it's like, again, you need to look at your why you need to, you yeah. need to 
analyze and, and go there. And I think most people, probably 90% of people probably don't. Yeah, I agree, Scotty. Like that ha- happens more often than not where I'll have a client, I'll look at their program. I haven't, I haven't seen them. They're an online client, but I have a session with them, put the weight on. It's like, dude, you had like four or five more reps to, to get, you know? And um, that's why, you know, us as coaches, we use, we, we program in a certain way. We use intensity techniques so that people understand how hard they could potentially push, potentially go. Like, you know, me giving my client cluster sets or rest pauses and, you know, or short rest periods, my reps, whatever that may, may be, all the fancy stuff that I use sometimes because it shows them that, you know, to try to stick to that regime requires you to train real hard. And I know there's clients out there too that I probably wouldn't give them some of these techniques because they train hard anyways and it's going to put, put themselves into the ground. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but sure. it can be a number, to be honest. It can be a really good tool to help people essentially to level up. Mm-hmm. Like until you've had a 100-rep cluster or even a 50-rep cluster set on a major compound, yeah. like you get to learn what a world of hurt really is. Yeah. And again, that fortitude and that, you know, that resilience to train in that, in that fatigue state, especially when you're in a contest prep because you're fatigued all the time at the back end, um, you know, that, that's going to be worth its weight in gold. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and as coaches, like, are you guys ever prescribing other than a deload week, anyone working with more than five reps in reserve for someone who's got a stage goal? No. no. So, so and I agree, right? So if you're regularly, like if you're being coached, and you're regularly leaving five to 10 reps in the tank because your coach wrote four by 10 and your four by 10 at 40 kilos seems difficult to you, but you think you've got more than five in the tank, you're probably not training hard enough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I think we spoke about this on another podcast, like RPE and why we don't use it. Yeah. 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 All good. Okay. Uh, are you guys close friends or just business associates? So we're not actually business associates at all because we don't have any businesses together. We just have these podcasts together that, you know, that we, uh, that's just, hey, this, this, this could be the best business ever one day. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. But no, we are friends. Definitely. Definitely friends, not yeah. business associates. Um, all just coaches who, yeah, like, like you've seen on our previous stuff, just like-minded, appreciate and respect each other. Um, Michael and I obviously went to school together, which we spoke about on a previous co- podcast. Yeah, both Michael two guys. And, yeah. yeah. Both Michael and Scott have coached me. So like I've had the opportunity to get really close with both, which has been amazing for me. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely friends. Yeah. Uh, what drives you? Oh, that's deep. Very open-ended, deep question. In what, in what regard? Like drives you with bodybuilding, in life, in business? Uh, just have to give a generalized over. Just general. Um, just general. This, this person also asked a question about um, confidence in the gym and improving self-talk. So I think they're talking about like pushing themselves, you know, like through, through training, through, through prep, whatever that may be. This person is in prep. So I'm thinking that they, they want an answer about, you know, when things are getting tough, what, what drives you? What's, what's your why? We spoke about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a big one for me is just like to, I always ask myself, like, am I continually getting better? Like, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily about just the physique. Is my physique getting better? But if, if, if that's the goal and, I, and I'm pushing and I'm starting to feel some of the suck and it's getting tough, I know that, you know, having been through it so many times with both athletes and as a competitor myself, I know I'm on the right track. I know that, you know, when things start to get tough, it's generally when I'm the closest to success. 
So that's my that's how I keep pushing. I'm like, the harder it's getting, the better the end result's going to be. I'm like, yeah, I start to embrace it. I'm like, this is good. I want more stuck. And Scott, you remember that? I was always like, yeah. Like, how does it feel? I'm like, yeah, I love it. Keep going, keep going. Give me yeah. more. Take food off. I don't care. Like, like whatever it has to be. So, so that for me is a, is a big thing. Is just to just to know that if it is getting really tough and it is getting really difficult, you're probably getting close to where you want to be. Um, so never give up. You guys seen that meme or that picture of those people that are digging through the rocks? And there's two pictures, and one has reached the pot of diamonds and the others have stopped and they're just like one more knock of the hammer short of breaking through the wall where the diamonds are. It's like mm-hmm. you just had to keep going. So just never, n- never be that person that gives up. So if you're feeling shit, if it's getting tough, you're getting close to where you want to be. I think for me, it's probably just similar to what you said. I have that sadistic nature in, in prep where Good I word. kind of feel like that the more that it hurts, I feel like, it's my ability to be able to, to push ahead and to be able to, to go to a new limit because it's most people will fall off the wagon or aren't willing to do the non-negotiables when it's you're super tired. You've got like 2,000 steps to do, but it's pouring rain versus like walking around your living room. Like I remember when in prep, there was, a, there was a day it did not stop raining. I remember at 11 o'clock at night, this is in our old townhouse before we built, moved into our new place. I was literally... Jen was watching a movie from like 8 till 11 p.m. And I was no joke, walking around our kitchen table, walking upstairs, walking back down, just to tick that box. And that was in the middle of July. And in reality, I didn't need to do that. I probably could have got away with it. But it's like the way that my mind is wise that I have like a completency disorder where if I've said that I'm going to do something, like under no circumstances will I fall short of, of doing that. And I, I think in terms of a why, Granted, you boys don't have kids yet, but having two kids now, for me, and especially in my last prep nine, if I'm taking time out away from being from my kids and my wife and my family, I need to make sure that I'm investing every single second to get a quality return rather than I'm not just going to go in there and, and take the piss and be away from it because obviously I could be spending more time. As it is, I work a lot. Um, I could be with my kids and my family. So for me, when I'm there, every single second needs to count, and I'm not gonna, not gonna take it for granted. Yeah, I think for me, actually, funny you mentioned about the walking around the house because I actually do that every day now. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I think for me, it's more of a personality type thing. Like MG, you know, like I'm pretty humble. I don't take compliments at all. Like I cannot handle a compliment. Um, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Because I feel like I'm going to be complacent. Yeah, you also you don't like a lot of attention either. Yeah, I don't like a lot of attention. I, yeah. I don't like compliments, and I think it's for me because I don't want to ever be satisfied. I don't want to ever be not happy, but like I don't want to ever stop stop improving. So it's more like a thing of, um, as you said, I want to continuously improve, but um, I'm just never satisfied. Like I think there's always ways to do better and level up. So for me, it's I don't really need some massive goal or motivation or something big to be like, oh, if I achieve that, it's going to be amazing. It's more like I just want to do better than what I did before and just every every single day just try to be better than I was the previous day. Yeah. Like, And sometimes it's really that bad. Like I didn't sleep well last night because I thought about a thing that I wanted to implement in my check-in system. So I didn't fucking sleep. So I got up at 5.30 and started doing it. Like, because I just like, I need to do it now because <laughs> people need to use it now, you know? So, so um, I'm just... Obviously, Chimbole, you'll, you'll let Scotty and I know. Thing. 
You'll let Scotty and I know what that was, yeah? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we can implement the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. for me, it's a personality thing. Now, I can tell you that it's probably rooted in, in something within my childhood, which I know, I know what it is. And um, it's always trying to um, kind of please others because I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. But that's been a little bit of a blessing and a curse, to be honest, because now all I want to do is please myself and do better for myself. So that's what drives me. I'm not a sadistic person. I don't want to put myself in any pain or anything like that. When I go in the gym, it's about, okay, what did I do yesterday? Cool, got to do better. What I do? Yep, got to do better. And that's all it is. I'm not chasing for anything else, but just to do better and continuously improve. And that's what kind of drives me. Because then I won't be satisfied and I'll be disappointed in myself and I'll be upset. I think it was, wasn't it like the, it was like a, the, one of the first Jay Cutler series back in the day, one of those first ever YouTube series where it's like, this is a sport that you have to be satisfied never being satisfied. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're ticking that box. Man. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so confidence in the gym and improving self-talk. So this is coming from a female. So... Um, I don't know if they want to talk about confidence, like because they're you know not confident around other people. Maybe people are looking at them. Maybe they think they're doing things wrong. Yeah, like do you, do, you, do you know? Is it someone who like is reasonably experienced training? Is it coming from like a like an exercise confidence thing? Like a... I, I think this person would know how to train yeah. while they're competing, um, but you know maybe they have a confidence issue in the gym. Maybe they wanted that they're, they're worried about what other people think. Um, yeah and improving self-talk. So, you know, if you're trying to improve self-talk, I'm thinking that that's also linked to confidence too. Yeah. And I think one of the, the things that, you know, you, you get to know the longer you spend in the gym is that, you know, sure, there's some, some examples where this is not the case, but most people are there to build on themselves. So, you know, if you're in any facility and if you're someone who's comp prepping, you're probably in a facility training where most of the people there are reasonably serious, that most people aren't too concerned about what you're doing anyway. Um, so just, you know, back yourself and just go in there and get your job done. I always say like when you walk in my gym, I always say to my clients, like you've just clocked on, so it's time to get to work. So maybe take like a little bit of that, you know, that, that job mindset into your, into your training. Um, but yeah, don't, don't be too stressed about what others are thinking because most likely people aren't too concerned about what you're doing. So just be yourself. Yeah, I think you don't have to be a perfectionist. So if you're trying to, if you're thinking that you're not confident in what you're doing and people are going to be looking at you weird or whatever that may be, just know that it's okay that if you're not doing things, okay, things right, it's okay. It's all a learning experience, right? Where, you know, you've got to fail before you succeed, that kind of saying, right? So don't worry about walking in and being confident. Like I know everything that I'm doing and I'm the best at what I do and I'm never going to fail, never going to stuff up. Cause then, yeah, you're always going to, you're always going to, think that something's wrong and you're always going to have doubts. So just going and be competent that, you know, you're not going to hurt yourself or do anything drastically wrong, but not overly confident. Like you need to be doing everything hundred percent right. And just know that it's a journey. And over time you will get better and better and improve and don't be satisfied and just keep trying to improve every single day and tell yourself that too. Like don't, don't, um, you know, don't think that, yeah, you, like tell yourself it's okay to fail. It's okay to not have confidence. It's okay to not know what you're doing sometimes. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. Progress over perfection. So mm-hmm. and I think too many people in this game <clears throat> give a shit about what other people think way too much. Like the amount of people that probably, Oh, should I post this photo or this clip? What happens if someone critiques me? Really? Who fucking cares? If people are going to take their time out 
to comment on something, whether it's good or bad, should just be happy because they're taking time out of their day and you've grabbed, <laughs> you've grabbed their attention. Um, and if they, if they troll or have something bad to say or whatever, then it says more about them than it does you know, about you. And I think you just have to think back to, as we just said, progress over perfection. And the other one is if it is on confidence, like say you've got a, I know for a lot of girls, they get nervous with say squats. Like say you've got a set of squats that you're super nervous about. Um, I get that like that sometimes. I think incantation, like visualizing the lift, you know, before it's going to happen and backing yourself in and even literally talking to yourself before you do it. Again, if someone looks at you weird, like, you know, what the fuck is this person doing talking to themselves? Who cares? You're not going to see that person again. <laughs> um, and even if you do, you're like, I was just psyching myself up. Like, does that bother you? Like, what are they going to turn around and say yes? Mm. Just stay in your own lane. Yeah, and again, progress over perfection. Love it. And the only, other, the only other tip like that I could give is, you know, if it keeps happening and you really find your confidence is just not getting anywhere in the gym, potentially, um, you know, reach out to a teammate or, or someone that could maybe come with you and you could do a, a session with a partner a couple of times because I know having someone by your side typically for most people will improve confidence. So, you know, think about that as an option. If you've got someone in your team or a family or friend who you trust that could come with you to help you overcome that fear, maybe that's something to, to think about. That's a good one because sometimes it's good to have someone um, to boost your confidence, to tell you that you're okay, you're good. Like, I don't know what your problem is. Like, you're doing, this, you're doing amazing. I don't, I don't know what's going on. So, For sure. Exactly sometimes right, you yeah. need some outsider perspective to say, you're a bit crazy. You, are, you should be confident. You're doing really well. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to answer this question because I'm in prep, but I struggle to eat five meals. Tips on getting in calories. Yes, yeah, Scotty, this is you, man. This is you, yeah. <laughs> Mr. 9,000 calories. <laughs> this was one of my clients. So, firstly, obviously, you need to look at making sure, as we know, macronutrient-wise, always tick off your protein targets so that we're getting at least four um, protein feedings a day minimum, ideally. And then otherwise, if you're really struggling to get food in, then just condense your meals. You need to potentially find more calorically dense foods that are lower in food volume and try and pick foods that are um, highly palatable. As long as you're getting in your micronutrient quota, so you're ideally getting at least a 200 gram serve of veggies a day, 150 grams of some sort of fruit. Um, then at the end of the day, if like if you're talking about someone who's on 2000 calories, then I think you, you kind of need to dig a little bit deeper and just get it done because I've, I've got bodybuilders that are eating, you know, five, eight, 6,000 calories and, these guys, the foods that they have to put in, it's, you know, it's, it's not a good time. So I think until you get to that point, but this person was a female. So I think you just need to perhaps look at also getting in one of your meals earlier in the day. If you start your first meal at 8.30, 9 o'clock and you've got to get in four or five meals, you're going to have a pretty hard time trying to get in five meals. So if five meals doesn't work for you, then just condense your food and then um, maybe just do four meals and then have a shake post-training so that you hit your protein quota. And then get that first meal in nice and early. If you get breakfast done at, say, 6.30, it's very rarely that you're not going to be able to get in four meals a day. Given that, let's say you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, that gives you a 16-hour feeding window to get three more meals. Yeah. On that liquid calories? Yeah. And, um, if, if, you, if you need to. Like, when you're on the back end of, like, 4,000 plus... Yeah, Absolutely. like OJ with every meal. Yeah, yeah man. Powerade, intra-workout. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there's ways to do it. And also pick foods that you know are going to digest well and maybe look into your digestion a little bit too. 
Yeah, for sure. If you're not digesting 2,000 calories, even for a female, um, you need to potentially look at your fiber intake. And I dare say, if you are, it's also perhaps that you, you maybe not be drinking enough water or you're consuming sugar alcohols by protein bars. Yep. Too many people get recommended to eat protein bars. In my opinion, they're one of the worst things that you can eat. Even if you're stuck and you're at a 7-Eleven, you're like, I'm going to get a protein bar. Um, you'd be better off just going to a supermarket and buying 150 grams of shredded chicken breast and some rice crackers and eating that instead. Because mm-hmm. at least it'll digest well. Oh, man. Like, and everyone knows, right? You look at the back of the packet. Like, for a bar that big to have 67 ingredients, right, you, it's, it's, you're, you're asking for trouble. And I think as three coaches have been around for a little bit, the three of us have only seen issues with those types of bars more so than we have people who eat them with no issues. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, and the yeah. other thing which you, you touched on, Scotty, I'll just say as well, is like I was talking to a female athlete the other day who's, you know, eating just over two um, and, you know, struggling to get it in. And when we looked at everything that she's doing, you know, has her first meal like around 11 because it just feels better that way, but then leaves so many less hours to put the rest down. So, I think one of the good points Scott makes is you've got to look at your timing, right? You've got to look at your lifestyle and your timing. Now, if you're getting to the end of the night and you're struggling to get two meals down, but your first meal is at 11.30, something's got to change. Mm-hmm. I think you need to think about the way your day is structured more so. And if you're not sure how to do that, that's when, that's when you should speak to your coach about how to best structure uh, your meal timing for the day. Yeah, so next question then. Um, does protein timing matter to build muscle? Uh, uh, yes and no. I think I think I think what Scotty nailed was the, there's enough literature to show that you know I don't think that I think about four four meals per day, four to five meals seems to be the sweet spot in terms of protein intake. I don't think there's any data out there that shows that guys that are having eight intakes of protein per day are getting any better results than those that are having four, as long as calories and macronutrients are in the right spot. I don't think that having a shitload of extra protein has any benefit. Um, I think there's opportunistic times to consume protein um, to aid with recovery and things like that. You know, obviously when you're first woken up, you haven't had protein for a long time. Uh, Potentially pre or post training might be an optimal time. But in terms of specific times, do I need to have protein every 90 minutes to get huge? No, you don't. No, you don't. And it's also understanding that every time, obviously you have a feeding, you are going to get a spike um, in MPS. And at the end of the day, the easiest way to understand in terms of how you build muscle, muscle protein synthesis needs to exceed muscle protein breakdown. So as long as, and that's why, you know, there's been a lot of research in this, in this sort of area scope now that we know rather than the old school bro mentality every two hours, which is how guys, Jay and Ronnie used to eat. Um, and granted, they do train harder, so their, their protein intake would need to be higher. At the end of the day, as long as over that 24-hour net period that you have consumed more protein than you have broken down and you follow those rules that you're consuming, ideally, you know, you, in my opinion, you, shouldn't, you wouldn't want to go longer than sort of four hours to five hours before having a, a protein feeding so that, again, you're keeping that spike up. But anything more than that, you know, you're going to hit that muscle full effect, um, ideally, I think it's, it's only it's around about 20 grams is all you need as long as it's a complete protein source. It's got leucine to get an MPS spike. And again, if you're having 100 grams thinking this is going to make more of a difference, it doesn't. So I always give the example. Think about you've got a, a glass of water, how much you can put in. Once you've hit that quota, it's just spilling out overwards. So yeah, the glass is full, but 
it doesn't do you any better unless you're just using protein as a source of, obviously it's a lot harder for your body to store protein as fat. doesn't mean you can't, but sometimes if you've got someone who's deep in their off season, um, it can be more advantageous to consume potentially a higher protein diet because um, it's the likelihood of you storing body fat is going to be less than if you're, you know, consuming something that's easier for your body to, to deposit as fat, say like you're having extra fats rather than just consuming a little bit more protein. It's not going to hurt you, but um, as, as you said, four, you know, maybe five um, feedings, if you can space that out, obviously depending on um, how much you need to have is going to be more than fine. And just making sure that you're, you're having a feeding within ideally 90 minutes of either pre or post again, because obviously, and if you can have something post, it extends that anabolic window um, after you've, you've had a, a workout. But as long as you've within 90 minutes of, of working out or after, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is like, yeah, sorry, just like in terms of the amount of meals, I'm not also saying don't have six, seven, eight meals um, <laughs> because it's not getting you any better results. I have that many meals because my day starts at 4.30 and, you know, even I leave the gym late at night. So I am having that many meals. I'm just saying I'm, I'm aware that I'm not necessarily getting any better results because I'm having more meals. Yeah. And not all of them, I'm guessing, would all be protein. Like you wouldn't have, say, chicken no. or whatever with it. No, like no, no. There, there, a, there'll, there'll be a couple of probably just carb snacks in there, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Agree with all you boys. The only one I was just going to say is uh, if you are training faster, then getting protein after your workout is like super important. Yeah. Yep. This is a good one, actually. Does off-season calorie intake determine how low your calories go in prep? Absolutely not. Yeah, like I'll tell you with, with me, and all, and I know with clients too, um, is my calories got pretty decent uh, in the off-season and I was pumping food in and weight was hardly shifting. But then for me to get lean now, my calories have to go all the way down. So... Yeah. I don't know whether you want to call it adaptive metabolism or flexible metabolism, whatever you want to call it. But um, for me to gain weight, I've got to push food. For me to lose weight, I've got to pull food. So, and some people are the opposite. And some people are the opposite. Some people, they put a little bit of food in and they gain a lot of weight. They take a little bit of food out and they lose a lot of weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know whether this is a direct correlation, but just based on myself, my clients, who people I've worked with, what I've kind of seen, I can probably categorize these people most of the time they fall in this category. If you're someone like me who needs to, to gain a lot of weight, they need to push food hard, but to lose, they need to also bring food down. I always, almost find they're people the ones that build muscle easier and retain muscle easier. And the ones that are uh, gain weight fast or lose weight very fast, whether the um, calories are only slightly adjusted, is they're normally more of a hard gainer. Um, that's what I found with people that I work uh, with. What about you boys? Yeah, I, I tend to, to, to agree. I don't think, I mean, everyone's physiology is going to be different. So there's no golden rule with this. And I think, I actually think too many people get caught up on just, oh, this person's eating that food. I'm going to get my mm. calories up to this point or they're dieting on that. At the end of the day, the goal like bodybuilding in general, doing a contest prep, it's not inherently healthy. Like it's not something that is designed for you to do forever and ever. So I think at some point you have to be willing to accept that you may have to like your EA may be a lot lower than what say people would 
say a nutritionist would say, oh, that's not really healthy. Well, okay, it's not really meant to be. I'm trying to have shredded glutes. So <laughs> in, in order to, to achieve that, the goal should, like, obviously we want to be able to get as lean as we can whilst consuming the most amount of food, whilst retaining the most amount of tissue. But sometimes that means that you are going to have to dig quite deep. So I think everyone's going to be inherently different. Like you said, you need to push food in a little bit more to gain, but then you've got to dig a little bit harder. Um, I, like you in the off-season, have to really push food to continue to maintain a certain rate of gain. But then I can also I strip down really, really quick. But there's also come, it comes a point where, and this is when I think conditioning plays a role, when you want to get truly, truly shredded, there's going to be a body fat set point where your body is going to go into survival mode and metabolic adaptation is going to occur whether you like it or not. Like your body will find any way that it can to conserve energy. So for example, let's say like for you in the next few weeks, you might find, well, I'm leaning on stuff a lot more. Well, when I used to do these podcasts, I would, you know, I'm fiddling with something at the moment, whereas you're sitting there super, super, super still, yeah. which, which is awesome. But it's also probably your body's way of just trying to retain as much energy as it can because it's in a, a period of energy deprivation. So I think it doesn't matter who you are, if you're, if you're talking about getting like truly, truly peeled, uh, you, you're going to have to push calories at some point. Granted, you know, for me in the, the depths, 2,100, 2,200 might be super, super low versus I know some guys that have to go down to like 13, 1,400 to be like truly, truly peeled. Is that ideal? No, but that's what needs to be done. You know, you look at Seabum, he, he, I think one of his preps, he was dining on like 1,200 calories, man. Yeah, he did a video on it. Man. The best, did a video. the best in the world. That's probably like fifty kilos heavier than me. And, and this is someone who's also got access to like unlimited pharmacology to be yeah. able to use that. Like he's got clan, he's got everything he needs um, to to help facilitate that fat loss pro, um, process. So I think if if someone's telling you that you know they got shredded glutes and they did it on twenty six or twenty eight hundreds, they might have eaten up to that point, but. Uh, I think the likelihood is that they've probably had to go a little bit deeper than that when they've had to dig to, to get off what they needed to get off. And it, it's just a, it's a cost of doing business. Yeah. Like, like, sorry, just a couple of things. Is One is there's also proper ways of doing a prep and taking your time and not being aggressive. And, you know, we make sure we do all those things for our clients. And my coach does it for me. I know he's an amazing coach. Just because I'm on locals, I don't go, well, he's a shit coach then. So sometimes it just, it is what it is and you just need to accept it, right? Yeah. Um, but there's also ways of not doing correctly, which make you go on calories that are too low, too fast, and it's a detriment, right? So there's, either way, what I'm saying is, if you're, there's nothing wrong with your metabolism, it's not broken if, you, if your calories are lower than the next person. It just, it is, it is what it is. Next thing is, don't believe what everyone tells you too. If they're like, oh, I'm on 2,000 calories, yeah, but they're probably on like 25,000 K steps, right? So don't believe everything that someone tells you when they say, I'm on this many calories. Is that their high day? Is that because they just had a refeed and you asked them on their refeed day what their calories were? So technically, they're not lying. So um, th those kind of things too. And um, yeah, like in the end, it doesn't matter because I tell you now is when your body fat is low, whether you're on 2,000 or 1,200, you're still hungry. The, that person is still as hungry as the next person. It doesn't matter. Like right now, yeah, it, yeah. you could give me more food, but I'll still be hungry, which I'm not actually hungry, but I'm just insane, right? 
I'd still be hungry until my body fat percentage is back to a healthy level, right? right so right. it doesn't even matter what calories you're on. So like, oh, that, that person's on a thousand more than me. How lucky are they? They're still struggling as much as you. Trust me, they are. Yeah. If they're as lean as you are, they're hurting. Just yeah, as they're still hurting, 100%. Sure. Yeah, I always say like it's the level of condition that determines how someone's feeling, not necessarily the calories, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you're peeled, no amount is enough. And that's why, why we, why we um, employ recovery phases after a comp prep, right? Why we don't necessarily always go straight to reverse because if you've got someone who's dialed down hard, putting on some body fat immediately is, is, is almost quite essential, right? So, so we know that the level of condition is going to dictate the way, the way that you feel. But I would always say like, Never compare yourself to someone else. I bet like you guys get this as well, right? You consult with a brand new client who wants to do a comp and you're about to go through, you know, what I'll call like the metabolism assessment phase or the, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. re-metabolism phase where you're trying to assess what their maintenance is and then we're going to try and build it up before we start prep. So we're starting from somewhere reasonable and you get the question at the first concept, how low will my calories go in prep? Oh. Okay. Because the reason I'm asking is my friend who trained with this coach um, had to go down to 1,200 or got peeled on 2,400. It's like, it's like already a really bad place to start, right? Because everyone is so different. Like how low your calories will need to go. No, nobody knows at the start, right? Could I maybe give you a range? I think you'd be based on how much you're eating at the moment and how much muscle mass you've got in your weight. Yeah, maybe. Might it go lower? Yeah, might it go higher? Maybe. Like you just don't know. But never ever compare yourself to what someone else is doing. And Michael nailed it. Most people are going to fucking bullshit you in, in terms of like what you're eating, uh, what they're eating for their prep most people are going to tell you that they're eating more because nobody wants to say that they're on low calories it's just but most of the people that are getting absolutely diced are going to a, a level of of calories that you know is going to suck for everybody yeah like i remember you know at your gym mick when you know jackson or anyone would ask me what are your calories i tell them like oh yeah. man like how you feel i'm like i feel fine so it, <laughs> it doesn't even yeah, matter like it's it's how you feel and and yeah. how you're how you're taking on this journey and this experience and the mindset you have is all that sure. matters. Is all that matters. Sure. Yeah. And if you're, a fe- if you're a female competitor in ICN who's comparing your calories to an enhanced IFBB girl, that's also a really bad comparison to yeah. make because Scotty touched on it before. Pharmacology makes a freaking massive difference. There's some substances out there that you know, can do wonders for your metabolism when you're getting peeled uh, and for holding muscle tissue. So, there's just, yeah, never, never a good thing to make a comparison with, yeah. with anybody. And, step, you know, and also activity level counts too. If you've got someone that's a sure. worker, you're going to be on lower calories most likely than someone that's a tradie, right? So, yeah. well, and they don't tell you that either, right? Well, they don't tell you yeah. how much cardio they're doing. The fact they're on the, they're on the stepper for an hour a day every single day of the week. For sure. A thousand calories more than you, but you're not doing any cardio. You're only doing 10K steps. So, you know, like... Yeah, like you know, if you looked at mine, Scott, like same as mine, right? You looked at mine, mine said reasonably what people would consider high, but you, I could not get under 20,000 steps just because of my job, right? It wasn't possible. So, so like, there's so many factors to take into it, like MT said, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, stay in your own lane. Don't worry about anyone yeah. else. At the end of the day, your, your intakes are relevant and specific to you and your coach. Otherwise, they're not relevant to anyone else. Yeah. And to answer, you know, the, the answer I give that client when they ask me that question, how low will they go? I'll say, I don't know. I'm not going to do anything detrimental to, to you, though. And we do whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if an adjustment's been made and you're not sure, you should always be able to ask your coach. Because as, as a coach, you know, you boys will be the same. There's never, we, we, 
you never int- unintentionally make a move just for the sake of it. So if, if we have made an adjustment or incorporated something, there's always going to be a reason why. That's programming 101. There must always be a reason behind why you're doing what you're doing. And if your coach doesn't have a reason for that, then for sure, maybe he needs to look elsewhere. But majority of the time, if you're working with someone um, you know, who's credible and knows what they're doing, then there will be a reason behind that. And there's nothing wrong with reaching out. You know, It's like, oh, my calories are at 1,100. I was talking to my friend. Apparently, that's really, really low. It's going to open me up to reds, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you're not. Yes, you've lost your cycle, but that's a byproduct of being lean, not necessarily just because your calories are low, provided that you employ and you adhere to the recovery diet and you accept that we're going to have to gain back some fat mass. Everything else will attenuate itself over time. It's just one of those things. Again, it's a cost of doing business. Yeah, and I think, and that's why we have check-ins with our clients and we ask certain questions, right? Like, you know, Brandon will look at the plan and and be like, okay, cool, but what's your hunger? What's your appetite? What's your food focus? What's your energy? What's your motivation? If all those markers are all good, who gives a shit what my calories are on? I can handle it. I'm going, I'm fucking killing it. So it doesn't matter. But if they're all red, then that's a different story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, MG, we're coming up to time, right? I think you have an appointment yeah. where you need to get a nice relaxing massage. Oh, I'll be, I'll be, br- I'll be brutally open. I'm going to get a two-hour facial and a pedicure, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, could I, hey, this is no word of a lie. When did I compete? April, right? I have still faked out on my big toe. Not <laughs> out. Off, yeah? I can't get the fucking thing off, man. Just my two big toes. Oh, my God. And already, anyone who knows me from my footy days, I've had both my big toes broken bad, right? So they're already fucked, right? But now they're yellow and fucked. They look like I've been smoking a pack of cigarettes with my big toe. I'm like, I've got to deal with this. There's no better place than here. But yeah, I'm going to get a facial and a, uh, and a pedicure. So full disclosure. I, I, was, I was given the tip to uh, clear, clear coat. Clear coat them. I know. I wish I had a known. Yeah. I know. Oh, well. So, right, uh, boys. Well, that was awesome. We had a lot of questions, a lot of good ones. We got through definitely. 99.9 of them. Um, awesome. I can't wait for the next one. Yeah, so and we, 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 we won't say officially, but we've got a couple of really awesome guests uh, lined up over the next little bit. Um, one who is in an industry that's going to be able to answer a lot of questions about um, a lot of the issues we run into when we train, who is someone that uh, we all respect very highly. So I'm pumped for that. Yeah. And uh, reach out if anyone has any questions. Uh, we always love answering questions. And, uh, yeah, and, and I'll also say this, guys, if you've got someone you'd love us to talk to, tell us. Yes. Yeah, Tell us. Yeah. And then also, as we just said, we appreciate everyone's support. If you can, guys, like so many of you have been doing, when you do listen to it, um, take a photo, screenshot yeah, thanks, of like, your timeline. And if you can, if you have the chance to, to jump on and, and give us a, a five-star rating, all those things make a difference to the algo and, and obviously helps it grow. Appreciate so, it. yes, appreciate it. Well said. Appreciate thanks, it. guys. All right, guys. Enjoy. Right, I'll see you in a few days. See, see you, mate. See you, boys.